So hi everyone and welcome to episode three of the Beehive Jive. Um, this is a beekeeping podcast from London and it's hosted by Paul and Tracy who are two beekeeping friends. Um, we're hobbyists um, and we have our bees and our bee adventures in South London. Misadventures. <laughs> Misadventures, exactly. Um, so in this episode um, we're going to talk about things you can help you can do to help your bees spring into spring. That's catchy, that is. That is very catchy. Works for me. But first, um, very exciting slash worrying. We have an update on on Asian Hornet. Um, In our last podcast, uh, we talked about Asian Hornet and some other pests. Um, We... When we were talking about it, we weren't sure if the nest found in the UK had come from the European population or had been imported in via another route. Um, It was confirmed that it had come from the European population. And now, um, there's an update as of last Thursday, Friday, 17th of March, um, that Asian, a single Asian hornet had been identified at a retail warehouse um, in central Scotland. Um, and so obviously they're yeah. taking steps to deal so with that as we speak. Scottish government sent all local associations uh, free hornet traps. Bargain. Oh, could they send me one? No. You don't live in Scotland, so. Um, I still haven't made them. be interesting to understand how that bee got up there, how that wasp Slash hornet. I'll get the species right in a minute. So if it's a sing- if it's a single hornet, I assume it must be a queen. No, well, they haven't said. They've just said it's a because they're kind of, they're coming out now. It's just a so hornet. So maybe it was on something that was important. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to imagine Asian hornet flying. You know, being in Scotland, as you <laughs> as you said, because of the the climate. Yes. Well, European hornets don't do very well up here either. Well, you don't know. It's in a DIY warehouse. Maybe it was. Well, that's kids, what I mean. I imagine it's decorating. We keep referring to the Chinese scenario where the clay pots are imported from China ah, to the be. south of France. Obviously, south of France has a very good climate for Asian hornet. Scotland less so. Hmm. But anyway, we'll have to watch this space on that. Yeah. One, I guess. So, so we'll uh, the bee unit will be up there looking around, seeing they, seeing when they find it. Hopefully, they won't find Ellie. Mm. Um, but that's that's two in the space of six months. So at some point in the next eighteen months, we're, be, we're bound to get it. Um, it's going to it's going to happen. And I mean, now is the time to start trapping, isn't it? Yeah. So in spring is, is that's the recommendation. Trap in spring because mm. every queen you catch, obviously, it's uh, it's a lack of. Yes, yeah, that's one less nest. nest, I guess. But the, the, in effect, I, I've started to my my. My quest to find newspaper articles misidentifying Asian hornets. So the Coventry Telegraph deserves a special shout out because they have an article on their website where they've managed to put two different pictures of two different species of hornet. Neither of them Asian hornets in their article. So they've got the giant hornet, the big. And ch- was ch- it a close up of the? Yeah, yeah, big, yeah. <laughs> big yellow, the world's largest hornet, Japanese hornet. Uh, and then at the bottom, they've got one that was found in someone's house, which was. A European hornet. So they've actually managed to the science reporter there in in air quotes has managed to write an article about Asian hornets. Include two pictures, neither of Asian hornets or indeed the same species. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 
Maybe he's just hedging his bets, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I just think, because it's quite important people know what they look like, because you don't want people running around killing European hornets or worrying that these sort of seven centimetre wingspan giants come over from Japan. Do you frequently see European hornets around your hives? Um, last year I did, and I saw queen wasps, which I've never seen before. They're quite. I've got plenty of wasps, big. but I have to say I've I've rarely seen European hornets. So if I'd never seen one before, and I hadn't bothered to inform myself about what Asian looks hornet like really wasp. looks like, it looks like a it big looks wasp. a bit scary. You think, what the hell is that? Yeah, you know, just looks like a big wasp, and looks like it's trying to get into the hive sometimes. So it's really important to, as you say, know the difference yeah. and know what. I mean, because obviously Asian hornet looks completely. The different. rule of thumb is. Uh, the European hornet looks like a big yellow wasp. Mm. The Asian hornet looks like a big red wasp because they've got a quite, kind of reddish thorax. Got one, yeah, one of their is it and is it one of that's right. And also the tips of their feet, yeah. are red. But the thorax on a European hornet is yellow, very yellow. Mm. Whereas the thorax on a Asian hornet isn't. It's like a reddish brownish colour, mm. um, and they're a bit more uh, stroppy, which is an English term for likes a fight. Well, actually, interestingly, I've just thought of this. One of my neighbours is an entomologist. Really? Yeah. But he's he really does moths, Lepidoptera, as I know from my exam yesterday. Mind you, I wasn't asked that, so that was wasted, wasn't it? Um, and I've been you talking get a lot of to him. questions in beekeeping exams. Talking about insects that pollinate flowers, Paul. It's fascinating. Oh, okay. Um, he, I've, I've talked to him about it, and he does this thing at night where he puts up kind of sheets and bright lights and catches moths and, you know, sees what's around. So Does he have like a big net? I don't know. I just see these bright lights and white sheets in his garden. Sure. I hate like, moths, so I don't go anywhere near it. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. Uh, so, yeah, so I said to him, you know, keep an eye out. If anyone's going to find it, he will, although he doesn't have bees, so maybe not. Okay. Because that's what they predate upon, obviously. And I don't think they fly around at night. So ignore that. That was just a, <laughs> an interesting segue into the street where I live. <laughs> so what, what exam did you do yesterday then? I did my Module 2 British Beekeepers Association yeah. examination, which is on, it's on products of the hive and forage. And it's a really, it's... It's a strange syllabus to get your head around until you realise it's all about nectar. It's all about plants and nectar and what bees do to that and the products of honey and beeswax. And it's it, actually I learned a lot doing it, like I've never creamed honey, for example, um, and it's really simple. So I was thinking, well, I, I, I'm going to try it this year. Um, but fingers crossed, fingers crossed I'll get through. If anyone else did it, Yesterday, I'd be interested to see what they they thought. So how many modules? So it's eight. Explain to me what the BBKA exams are, because I've never done them. I'm too lazy. Well, they're like I mean, if you've ever done music exams, for example, you know, you do your grade one, two, three, whatever piano exam. Yeah. It's kind of like that for beekeeping, except it's not graded. So you have eight modules, and they are different subjects. And the first one is bee husbandry, so the basics of managing honeybees. Right. Then it goes through module two, I've just told you about. Module three, pests and diseases. That is a good one. 
Right. Um, I've done module six, which is honeybee behavior. That is absolutely fascinating. And then there's like microscopy and module eight is a bit of a mix. So once you kind of get through those and have done your general husbandry and your advanced husbandry, I think you are master beekeeper. You get a special gold bee suit. <laughs> yeah, you get a wand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I... I, one of the things I love about beekeeping is the opportunities to learn. It's just continuous learning and everything you learn is amazing. You think, God, they're just so amazing. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it's for me, I love doing the modules, but it's not easy. It's not easy. You've got to study properly and you've got to not run out of time like I did yesterday okay. by spending too much time on the first section. And then you get to the essay and you think, oh, my God, I've got 20 minutes to write an essay. And you shouldn't be intimidated by Kersey's 100% pass rate. Well, actually, she she's my secret weapon. <laughs> oh, she? Yeah. She came round to dinner <laughs> and coached me. I love her. She's amazing. She's an exam-passing machine. She is. She? She's amazing. Okay. So um, it's it's uh, today is a windy, relatively warm uh, March day. So what are you doing with your bees now for, in spring? to get them, get them roaring up and going? Well, I did the first inspection last week because we had a couple of really warm days here. Sunny, still 18, 19 degrees days, just perfect, unbelievable. So I got to my apiary and the bees were just flying in force. God, it's just such a sight for sore eyes. Have you got the mouse guards off? No, I still got them on. I'm going to take mine off um, today. Just, there's just so, having said previously in this podcast that – I was worried about lack of early spring pollen. The dandelions are out everywhere up there and they're not where I live, which is, I thought it would be the other way around. Um, so they're just bringing in loads and loads of dandelion. And yes, the mouse guards can knock it off their legs. Um, sometimes you see on the ground in front of the entrance, a little pile of golden pollen and you just feel really sorry for that bee that collected that. <laughs> And it went into the hive and everyone's where's the pollen. I'm taking mine off today. Yeah, well, I think it's just a. I, I was worried it would get a little bit colder and it has. And I don't know. I mean, I assume, you know, mice and stuff have come out of hibernation now. Um, but I didn't put the queen excluders on either because I think it's too early for that. But um, so the good news is no drone laying queens this okay. year. Um and three new queens, which must have been quite late. The August supersedures, big queens. I'm obviously I did not touch them. <laughs> I didn't try to mark them. Zero to no, no. them. <laughs> I look, just left them on. Oh, wait until there are queen cells. But one thing, uh, three of my colonies have drone brood in them. Already. Already. Yeah. Mm. So first inspection done. Uh, so the next things are. Uh, yeah, uh, giving them a stimulative feeding. So I'm doing that today. So you've seen it. I've got all yep. my, I've made all my syrup. I've got I my hive top. Yeah, I'm ahead of the game there. Very organised. Um, got my hive top feeders and I've got some pollen patties. So I'm going to go around this afternoon and slap them on. Mm. But I'm not, we were talking earlier, I'm not putting any additive into the syrup. Um, oh, what, like the supplements you can get at this time of year? No. Is it just me or have they got really expensive? They've always been quite expensive. They get a little bottle and it's sort of 20 pounds. I think it's because I used to have a job. 
so I didn't <laughs> notice how expensive they were. Um, things like Hive Clean and VitaFeed Gold, I mean, they're, yeah, around £20. I was sh- quite shocked, so mine aren't getting those this year. Oh, right, they're on a budget now. Yeah, they're on a budget. <laughs> they're getting um, little sugar. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't – well, so my, my view of that is um, – I'm just giving them an easier source of nectar, mm. but they're still going out and collecting pollen. So I'm giving them an easiest because it is the weather is a bit this time of year is very changeable. So um, I'm giving them a lazy source of food, and then mm. then if they want, they can still go out and work for it. So I'm hoping they kind of do a bit of both, really. So I'm not sure I need um, to put an extra sort of nutrient into the syrup. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm not either. I mean, obviously, it's really diverse around here. So, in terms of pollen and, and yeah. forage in in sort of South London sort of area, it's really diverse. You've got farmland, you've got gardens, you've got loads of trees. What have you got in your area? That's do you have any like spring? I've got willow. There must be loads of hawthorn. I've got loads of hawthorn, loads of willow. Um, the field that sheep aren't in, I'm going to have quite a lot of dandelions, crocuses everywhere. Mm. Uh, daffodils seem to be everywhere. Uh, there's a the sort of there's a farm a bit further down. And they've got a big daffodil bed because they've got like a coffee shop, masses of daffodils. So there's plenty of stuff for them. It's yeah. just I want to give them easy access to it because when last year I didn't do it, the year before I did, and there was a noticeable difference in how quickly they built up. When I do it, they build up really quickly. Yeah. When I don't do it. They don't. <laughs> so. It's just that that sort, like you said, that source of nectar stimulates brood rearing. I mean, obviously, sugar syrup doesn't have the nutrients that nectar has. Um, it doesn't have the minerals no. and acids and stuff like that that bees need. But if they create, if they're collecting fresh pollen, and so you've got loads of sources of pollen. Yeah. So it's just because. Mm. Um, March is very changeable, right? So you, you can have days like you were talking about last week, which are really nice warm days, or you, or you can have days where it's sort of wet, windy for a couple of days. So um, I think when it's wet and windy, they use the, the feed. And I don't feed for a long time. I feed until sort of – I'll probably feed for the next four weeks, I think, mm. middle of April. We'll probably get – hopefully we'll get a nice, strong, warm spring. God, I hope so. Make up for last year. Oh, and the 10 years before that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, really, really wet. Um, so what else do you do then in the spring? Because I generally feed and uh, I change all the kit as well. I change the floors. Um, yeah, so I do a spring clean. So, but before I do that, mm. I put the Varroa trays in. So I'm going to do that tomorrow. Oh, okay. I want to find out how the Varroa has come through winter. Um, and I mean, you know, obviously then you have to plan what, what approach is right for each colony. So some of them will be shook swarmed. Some of them will, they, I'd like to comb change most of them or, or, you know, every hive will have at least some of the comb changed. The big colonies, I want them to do a, a big comb change. It's funny that I was thinking about what you said about losing the brood. I mean, obviously I've done this so many times before. I know you lose the brood, but you know, I well, went when, into when one you do colony. I far exactly. So, absolutely, I'm talking about shook swarms. Five 14 by 12 frames of brood. So five deep frames of brood. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm going to chuck out. Yeah. Fifteen thousand bees. So, 
we'll see when I do the Varroa drop. <laughs> Don't tell me how many bees I'm killing. Um, <laughs> I'll do the Varroa drop and I'll that will inform what action I take next. But I, the spring clean, every hive gets a spring clean, so it gets a clean floor, a clean brood box. Oh, really? Yeah, clean queen excluder, clean crown board, every clean hive. roof, every single hive. I love my bees, Paul. What can I say? Oh, you know, I do that. I, I do. Um, I replace the floors, but I replace them over the season. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just in the winter because you find, especially with um, if you reduce the size of the the entrance and you put mouse guards on, mm-hmm. um, I do go down quite a lot to check to check because what you find is that the dead bees all will mount up in front of the the mouse guard, so the live bees can't get out. So yeah. you end up with this wall of bodies like sparta you know this wall of bodies <laughs> so um love it so you do i do go down there in the winter and just check see if i can see through there and mm. scrape them out and there is one hive it's very alive it's probably the strongest down there but it has got a lot of dead winter bees on the floor where they just died and they haven't dragged them out because it's too cold so if you don't replace the floors mm. what i find is that when you sometimes when you're looking down the comb you can just see so much rubbish on yeah. the bottom of the floor. So I do replace the floors on a regular basis. I need to space my hives out a bit more this year, so I'm going to take them off the stands and move them. But I don't replace a brew box every year. They just get – I guess, I don't know, I've got a couple of colonies which are very sticky. Okay. They make loads of propolis. Everything is stuck together. It's fine when it's cold because it's brittle, but inside it's just a nightmare. And they're getting shook swarmed because the frames are just so coated now. <coughs> Uh, so we're talking about propolis boxes, right? Okay. So, so some of the some of the boxes get really, really dirty, mm. and you know, I guess my colonies are. I've got a small number of them, but they're very active and they're very big colonies, and the boxes do get dirty. So I like to give them a a clean one. Also, I have to this year because I have to paint them. Oh yes, you have to paint them. Have um, you got cedar hives? Yes. Yeah, but so I'm going to use my polys. I'm I'm, so. pa- I'm painting my I paint my hose, and uh, what I find is cedar soaks paint like it's like it a does. sponge. So the first coat, you'll just think, where is all this paint going? It just soaks it like a sponge. I love my cedar box, and you know I've had them since I first started beekeeping, and some of them are starting to look a bit old. But you know, I was talking to or reading one of the old beekeepers who. When I say old beekeepers, I mean an age, not yeah. old-fashioned, um, who said that if you look after a cedar box, it should last longer than you forever. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So I need to, I need to look after them. It's like painting them. You don't have to paint them. They get that lovely silver. You see them here. They get that lovely silver color. But I just like the idea of multicolor. I paint them a different color every year, so I've got different color. They boxes. do look good, actually. They look good. Stacked out there. It's, pu- I, it's purely aesthetics. Shall I share with you the, the things that didn't go so well go that I have to rectify? I have a horror hive. Horror hive. Um, I don't know why I thought their temper would improve over winter, but it hasn't, and I need to requeen them pretty quickly because I don't enjoy spending time with them. How horrible are they? Well, I, I put them down as a, a one on my I, – I tell you, the worst thing about them is they follow. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, God, I hate followers. <laughs> I hate them. And, you know, I'm trying to have a break and have my lunch in the car and they're in the car and I can't take my veil off. It's just ridiculous. I just I don't have colonies like that. So that queen is going as soon as one of my better hives has queen cells available, um, which I suppose is the earliest that I can requeen it because I'm not buying a queen. Um, and then I 
previously mentioned as well on these podcasts about robbing. Um, I had two colonies which were very badly robbed and unfortunately, no surprise, but they both died. Okay. I think they just dwindled and dwindled and until the cluster wasn't big enough to keep them all warm and the floors are just covered with dead bees so I can see how many have died. So that was um, that was pretty disappointing, but I was kind of expecting it, although I did everything I could to prevent it. I just think that the robbing I had last year was just so savage and I, I've never experienced that before. I put the robbing screens on too late, although they helped. Um, but, yeah, so RIP. You put a post on for how to make robbing screens. Yes, I did. Expertly modelled. <laughs> Indeed. So with um, so when I get dead hives, mm. I don't get that many just because I don't know why. Maybe I spit them a lot. Hopefully because you're a good beekeeper. It's more luck than judgment. No, I don't, but, think, I don't um, think that's true. But when I get hives, so I, I caught a swarm uh, last year and that didn't make it. So I fed it and it just wasn't, it was late and it wasn't very really strong. So what I do is I clean the box, but I render all the wax down. I don't keep the wax. I know a lot of people say, well, keep the wax, you can use it for bait traps, but I don't really want to keep wax from a hive that's dive. No. What do you do? I, I destroy it. So you render it down, do you? I, I burn it. Really? Yeah. Why? Because unless you, well, I mean, you have to assume, if, if, if it's not starvation that's killed the hive, you yeah. have to assume it's some pathogen, oh, okay. which will be in the comb. That makes sense. And if it's something that has spores or whatever, I mean, don't, you just want to get rid of it. You just want to. I've heard that thing about a bit of old comb as well and a bait hive. Yeah, but I use old, old comb from hives. From, me dive. too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. That does work, right? So we were talking about catching swarms. Yeah, so, I want to get your advice on that. So, um, so I, I, yeah, so this time of year, I, I then put out, I don't put a lot, I put two bait hives out. I put one in my garden because I caught a swarm here before and I put one in my apiary. What I, what, well, what I used to do was put a 12 by 14 box, but I'm getting rid of the deep boxes. So I put two shallow boxes out with an old, nice dark brown well-used comb in and then i get um a plastic bag put a couple of drops of lemon uh, lemongrass oil in the plastic bag to stop it evaporating and i put that in the hive i do it early because uh, there's no science behind this but i i i wonder this is my my theory based on absolutely no evidence <laughs> that um that scout bees actually look for hive sites before they're looking to swarm. They do. Because you That's... find it around kit, don't you? When you've got, like, we've got, you can see here, I'm sitting in my garden, I've got my bee kit on, on stands, my old kit. It's got no bees in it, but there's loads of bees, even now, buzzing around it, having a sniff. Mm. So I I just think yeah, if you set the, hot, set the swarms up early, swarm traps up early, those scout bees will find it. Yeah. And you find, I find even when I set them up, Within a couple of hours, they've got bees sniffing around them. I saw this film, and I don't know, I can't, I'm really sorry, I can't remember who did the study, but it was somewhere in the UK, and they set up three um, potential new nesting sites and monitored the visits by scout bees. And the one that was the right size and the right volume, 
the the visits, obviously one bee found it and then within about six hours there were loads of bees coming read, to visit it and look at it. Have you read The Honey, honey Bee Democracy? Yes, I have, yeah. So that's exactly what you said. Yeah. They, they, they find hive sites the same way they find flowers. They, they recruit amazing. people to it. So I, I, I'm going to do that next weekend. I'm going to set up uh, one at the end of my garden and um, one one in my apiary. Um, yeah, so it's, that's what I do. I put one comb of old comb in there and I put foundation frames in, so it's got lots of space. I put it on open mesh floor with the extract, the excluder out, the, the entrance reducer out. Um, I get like a little sandwich bag, a little plastic bag. I put some drops of honey, um, lemongrass oil, stick it in there and just sit back. Because mm. the bag stops it evaporating. If you yeah. put it on paper, it evaporates. I did it in a polymute once. I put the lemongrass oil onto a kitchen roll and then stuff that in the polymuke. I need to find it actually started to melt <laughs> the polystyrene in the polymuke. So I've got a polymuke now with the, the heart it's got a groove in it where the and I was like, oh okay. So I didn't do that again. But um yeah, because you'll you'll catch swarms in the end of April. Well I've never I've never done a bait hive. And what the thing that's put me off is that someone told me they have to be quite high. And where my apiary is that would involve putting a post in the ground with a platform on it. I mean, there's nowhere to put it high. There's no sheds. There's no, you know, everything yeah, says, yeah. oh, just put it on top of your garden shed. Well, I don't have a garden shed or anything in my apiary. So I don't know. I'm just going to I'm just going to try to get it as high as I can. On top of a hive facing the other way. In my, my bait hive um, is about here, is about six foot off the ground. It's not massively high no but that's i mean that's perfect the fact that that you got that swarm in there and actually and someone else got a swarm i was thinking well i'm, I'm not even trying and i could be getting bees yeah and they might even be my own bees <laughs> well, you clip yours so they shouldn't be not unless they walk well, actually there. no you're yeah. right they won't be not unless there's mountaineered up there. <laughs> loads of queens well that's queen with climbing gear that's uncontrolled queen emergence it's worth doing, even if you don't mm. catch them. I mean, I was surprised last year. I was, I was thinking, there's loads of bees in that hive, and I opened it up. I didn't have any bee gear. I opened it up, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, there's a swarm!" <laughs> Whoops! Shut the lid again. Walked away. But um, yeah. Ah, so, so thank you. I've taken notes on that. Oh blimey! You, yeah. There's um the Kiwi, Kiwi Manny Buzz did a podcast. Their last podcast talking about um they had a guy on from the US who makes. Uh, swarm traps you got you got to see i'm gonna try and explain it but you have to see a picture basically it's a bucket and then he gets plastic tubing and he makes like a telescopic stand for it and he drills holes in the tubing that bees can get into and then he extends the tube and he puts the bucket on top of the tube so that so that this, this it looks really weird it's a bucket on the end of a plastic stand and the uh he actually catches loads of queens on that oh that's a, yeah but it looks looks really weird. Yeah, yeah. I, I will put a link in the show notes. But it looks really good. It looks really it looks it looks a bit weird because it's it's basically two buckets. One at the bottoms is the 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 floor, is the stand, and then he has his telescopic mm. tube, and he drills holes, and the bees enter through the tube, and go up to the bucket. Um, but he reckons it's yeah. really effective. But I I, I well, just they think- like small entrances, don't they? 
Yeah, the theory is it's got to be about two inch square. Mm. But I, I, the last one I caught them in, it was a fully open hive entrance. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to have a go. And actually, at the honey show last year, they were giving out free, like, uh, wipes. Swarmloos. Yes. So I guess that's lemongrass oil as well, um, is it? Well, I think what they say is, is a artificial pheromone given off by the oh, bees okay. and the queen. Uh, and But what a lot of people say is lemongrass oil is a very good substitute for that. You want right. the oil and not the extract. Mm. Okay. By the actual oil, not the extract. Not the top well, I'm going to try this well, swarm lure thing. Yeah. The thing is, uh, with bait hives, it's just spare equipment. Yeah. And I've got that. You've got loads of spare equipment. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So, so you start your variety monitoring, you're doing it on a tray, you're not doing like a, because you were talking about doing sugar, sugar rolls last, last time. Yeah. I don't, well, too, I might do that. Too I just need to work out how to do it. I mean, I normally I would use icing sugar. I don't know if this is right, but kind of, you know, May, June. Um, do you use icing sugar in your hive? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So, what they call it in the US, they don't call it icing sugar, do they? They call it powdered, powdered sugar. sugar powdered sugar. I do because um, in, I, I just read in one of the, well, it used to be Ferra leaflets, um, that, it's a good integrated pest management tool for managing Varroa. And anyway, where I work, sometimes I get people watching me and where my bees are, I get people watching me sometimes when I'm doing the hives and they just love seeing the icing sugar. It's like that's when I get the most attention. Obviously, I'm just an attention seeker, but um, <laughs> I'm just trying to please the audience. Um, no, I think I think it's quite good for them. And actually, if you do a drop after you do it, there's there'll be quite a drop of of varroa mite. Do you do it every? I've never done it. I've read about it, but I've never. Do you do it every week or every other week or every month? I do it every inspection. All right, you just got like yeah. a duster. Yeah, I've actually um, got the kitchen sieve. <laughs> Honestly, the things in our house that have been ruined because of beekeeping, I still can't get the propolis of it. But anyway, it's like a stainless steel sieve that you'd sieve flour through and right. sieve, sieve, I don't know how you say it. Um, yeah, so I just use that icing sugar over the hive. It looks like you're making a cake. I'm just going to dust this. Yeah, and the bees, it's interesting. I mean, the only time I don't use it is sometimes when it's really, really hot I spray the bees with water instead of smoking them. Okay. And obviously if you spray them with water and then put icing sugar on them, it's like, you know those almonds you get at weddings that have got that crispy coating on them? No. Yeah, it's like that. Okay. It's like one of those almonds. So I don't want to do that to my bees. Um, what, turn them into almonds? Yeah, turn them into M&Ms. <laughs> So peanut M&M. And you find that work? I've never, I've never. Oh, I've I quite, it helps. I think it helps. That and, I mean, drone brood removal. But, you know, I, last year was a bit of a, a wasted year. Not a wasted year. It was a bit of a difficult year because of the job I was doing. I had no time to okay. look after my bees properly. So this year, obviously, I want to make up for it and just do everything right. All right, okay. Yeah. Hence the changing the box, the everything. I'm yeah. not changing all my boxes. No, I know, but... Because the other thing about changing the boxes is I think that they varnish the inside with propolis and 
I always wonder there must be a benefit. There's a benefit to having those hives like that. So I also want to change them every once in a while, but I don't want to change them every year because I think they 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 spend a lot of time varnishing the inside, there, coating it with populus, mm-hmm. and I just think keep giving them brand new boxes, so they have to do it again. Well, I mean, I like when I'm blowtorching them. Obviously, there's loads of, as you say, wax and propolis. Yeah. But you know, if there's a healthy colony that when that melts, when I'm blowtorching it, I just rub it in. So the inside of the boxes has kind of got all polished over the years. Doesn't look nice, doesn't it? It looks really, yeah. <laughs> it looks really nice. But um, I mean, I guess that's an ideal. And I, I, I don't do a comb change every. I guess I don't do anything every year unless it's right for that particular colony. Yeah. So yeah, floors are changed just because the amount of rubbish. That, yeah, absolutely, know. absolutely. Crown boards get mouldy as well. So I, 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 they do. They do. They get a green mould. I said, I think, where's that coming from? Because the. The bees normally clean all this stuff off, so you never normally see it. But crown boards, we've got a tendency to get mouldy. I don't know why. So I, is it's it condensation? Probably. It's probably, condensation. The, um, probably the moisture being driven out the top of the hive. So have you looked at yours yet, your bees? Um, I looked at them when I I put fond- I got a bit paranoid, put fondant on all of them. Because I bought a lot of fondant, so I had a lot of spare... Uh, anyone who ever goes in my little bee shed will see the amount of sp- little your little bee shed, it's like deluxe bee shed. I'll, I'll put a picture of my bee shed that's in my garden. It's on the it's on a hill and it overlooks everybody else's houses. So when I'm in it, I feel like I'm in one of those North Korean lookout towers because you just see everybody. It's more like a bee pavilion, I think, from my perspective. A little, but but I I I went a bit overboard with fondant. I bought loads of it, so I thought, well, I'm going to put it on the hive. Um, so when I did that, they're all up. They're eating it. They're really strong. One, the one of my hives um, is so, it was so heavy in the summer that it's actually sunk the the hive stand into the ground. So I need to take it off and put something under the the bricks that are holding it up because at the I moment it's like yeah. tilting forward. So I hefted it. <laughs> so I lifted it and it nearly fell over. Like whoa, hang on, because it's on an angle. So it's fine where it is at the moment. Um, but that that's 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 doing really well. So at the moment, fingers crossed, they all look externally like they're fine. Obviously, I'm going to crack them open when I get a good good day. Good day, and you might find they're not as not as fine as I thought they were going to be. But fingers crossed, I think they're doing okay. I mean, if you've got plenty of bees there and there's pollen going in, that's a good sign. Well, that was the thing. I never saw them flying that much. The the nuke was flying, but the actual hives they all seem quite happy just to live indoors. Mm. Like I said, they've got lots of stores. It's quite where they where they live. Uh, it's surrounded by little trees, so it's quite sheltered. So probably doesn't get as hot as as, as yours does because yours has got a big opening, so they probably get more direct. Yeah, well, I mean, one side of it's quite damp, but they they do get sun. But I mean, what I what I have got is a lot of brood frames full of stores that haven't been used, um, and I want them empty. So I checked, and they're not ivy honey. They're, it's liquid honey in there. So I just kind of, I was tempted to remove the fondant. Because you said you did a thing called brood spreading, which I've never heard of. Oh, yeah. Brood, well, brood spreading, I've never really tried it properly. It takes, stop looking at your bees, Paul. <laughs> watching them flying in there at the hive. Um, it's, it's a Ted Hooper. Well, I read about it in Ted Hooper. It was a technique that he describes where you basically uh, 
you spread the, the frames that have brood on them, you kind of gradually kind of spread them apart and insert other frames so that um, there are insert combs. So she's laying on a greater number of combs. Oh, okay. I mean, I've got I've got one where they're producing drone, and it's because she doesn't realise there's there's honey behind her, directly behind her. So she thinks she's got nowhere to lay. Um, so I guess, but the the purpose of brood spreading, I'm not describing this at all well. But yeah, so you've got three frames of brood. You eventually might spread. You move one out where when it's capped, capped brood, and then you put a comb in, and then you might put oh, okay. another comb in somewhere. So it's extending the um, range over which she's laying. But obviously, you know, there are risks with that because you can get chilled brood. Um, if, if you do it too early in the season, the brood on the edges can chill. Yeah, because you don't have enough bees. Yeah, and exactly. To, the cluster might not be big enough. So you've got to be careful. But I think on a strong hive, it is something that I kind of do, but, I mean, you know, he does it in a very systematic way. You know, day three, do this, day five, do this. Whereas I just kind of tend to, you know, maybe, you know, normally you never split the, split the brood nest, oh, I do, do you? Well, I, I, I do. And I'll put a frame of comb. I took the a couple of colleagues up there that need more empty comb in there. So I just put it in where she needs it. But I, I did, I've heard the don't split the brood. Mm. But what I found is if you use, I use foundationless frames. So the way I do my comb changes is I push the older frames to the edge and take them out. Um, what I found, if I split the brood in the middle and I put an empty frame in the middle, it just built, they build that out really fast. Because yeah. they're like, we, we want to lay here and they just build really yeah. quickly and it's really warm there as well yeah. so it's not i only put one frame in the middle um but i've never had a problem with it they, they seem to cope with it and they seem to really that seems to be the best place to get comb mm. <laughs> you put it right in the middle of the brood nest and like, right okay i'm going to build it out and they just build it really quickly because sometimes like especially in um some bigger brew boxes it's hard to get them to draw out the, the end frames mm. Uh, but when they're drawn yeah. out, they use them. So it's a it's a bit of a challenge. So I, I find by adding frames in the centre of the hive, not all the time, obviously, but that actually helps me draw that box out a lot quicker than mm. if I just kind of hope that at some point they're going to – you can swap the frames at the end with frames the second frame from the end. But I just find by plonking a, a frame in the middle. Mm. And then when I add another brew box, I just take the frames out of the middle – and put them above them, so I create a tall, narrow brood nest, and I, that works really well as well. So I, I don't really have a problem split, splitting the brood, mm. as long as you've got enough bees to cover the frame. Exactly, yeah. You do it on a big, strong yeah. colony, where where she has the capacity to lay more. You know, so introducing. So if she's got no laying space, like you seem to be saying, you got. Yeah. I would take those frames out and just put. Have you got drawn comb or have you got foundation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've given them some drawn comb, but I mean, they they filled last autumn. Every brood box was filled wall to wall with honey. They were honey bound hives. Do you know? I'd never heard that term before last year, and there were there was no, no eggs, no brood, nothing going that's into funny. winter. And of course, I was just thinking, well, that's it. I'm stuffed. You know, <laughs> it's not queen right. But that's because we get a an absolutely epic ivy flow, yeah. don't we? I mean, there's so much ivy. It's just. I mean, I last year so particular, we got a massive ivy flow. Yeah. It lasts about four weeks. And I I know a um. I know a local beekeeper who 
make sure all the supers are off or, well, any empty supers are off before the ivy flow and she gives them a super above the crown board and just let them go, lets them go crazy drawing loads of brace comb and filling it with ivy rather than having it in her supers. I made the mistake one year of leaving empty supers on above the crown, um, um, supers that had empty frames in them above the crown board that the bees had cleaned and I didn't go and get them in time and I came back and they were full of ivy. Um, It sets like stone, doesn't it? Yeah. And sometimes they take it, especially if you spray it with water, but, yeah, all of that wax, God, you know. (laughs) All of that wax. It, what is it? Like eight to 15 pounds of honey to produce one pound of wax. I'm just looking at this box of wasted comb just thinking, oh, my bees, they wasted their energy doing that. They wasted their energy getting food for winter. <laughs> well, <laughs> that they're not going to use. They use it. They didn't use that. Really? They've used it when I put it under the brood nest. Um and in fact, I didn't overwinter them with a super underneath, which is what I normally do. And I think they do better based on nothing and no evidence apart from my gut feeling. I think they do better with a super underneath. You've got where big my boxes, bees are. You? You've got those twelve by. You got yeah. deep boxes. So what? I, I, I guess it's windy up there as well. See, when I used to run those boxes, I never gave them any extra space. I just I thought the box was big enough. Mm to accommodate enough winter stores. They overwinter quite happily on that. Yeah. I mean, um, Roger Patterson says that his bees overwinter on a shallow, really uh, sort of normal box really easily, a medium-sized box. Yeah. Depends on your the type of If they've got no space to lay, I would take – if they've got space to lay, I wouldn't bother. But if they haven't got space to lay, I would take out some of those those food frames and Mm. probably slap it in somewhere. Yeah, definitely. It's got an empty box because – But what do I do with them? These great big 14 by 12 – I mean, they weigh a ton, and it's it's like good honey. Extract. Oh, I don't know. Well, actually, my extractor wouldn't even fit them. But um, we well, can always put them in another hive, or keep yeah, them for. Um, it's a healthy colony. If you're, uh, you can raise queens, aren't you, in nukes? There you That's go. it. I'll just make a note of that <laughs> as well. <laughs> don't throw out frames. <laughs> well, you just say you wouldn't throw them anyway because the amount of energy it takes to make oh no no that that was the ivy ones i had to throw them out well i melted them in the wax extractor and ended up with this like oh. overflow of porridge coming out of the extractor which was the ivy honey so that's how they extract ivy though because they extra, that's how they extract you warm ivy it up honey. yeah they, they melt the wax and the honey floats to the top they skim the honey off the top of the wax and you can cream it I've had a hive and it's nice. It's really dark. It's, this is a new thing to me. I thought it was not edible by humans. No, it's not. But easy I learned it's a extract. matter of taste. Yeah, it's nice. It's not. It's like caramel. It's really thick, mm. gooey. I don't think it's that you can't eat it. I think it's that you need specialist equipment to extract it. It's a bit like uh, heather honey, isn't it? That can't you can't uh, squeeze it out of the frame. You can't extract it by spinning it. You have to squeeze it out. Mm. Press it. I yeah. guess Manuka is probably the same, where they can't extract it by spinning it. Exotropic as well, yeah. See, that was the word I was looking for. <laughs> you should have done module two yesterday. <laughs> no. So tell me about your hive records, Paul, because oh, yes. this is something you're much better at than me. <laughs> so I've never, I, I tried every system to keep hive records because, you know, records are useful 
Uh, I tried virtually every app because I love apps. Uh, didn't work really. I, didn't, I couldn't keep it up. I then uh, got a clipboard, put it in a plastic Ziploc bag, and put that under the under the roof. Um, it didn't really work. <laughs> so, I, so I went through a lot of iterations of coming to records. Uh, the, the system I currently use, which I find much easier, because the problem I had with records was if you're expecting more than one hive is just to have the, you kind of get into a, a flow where you're not expecting that one goes to the next one. Expecting that. And it, and just for me personally, breaking that flow to stop, get my pen out, do a bit of writing just mm. didn't really work for me. I just didn't, my mind, I, I used to go, right, I'll come back and write the records. And if you expect more than a couple of hives, you yeah. forget. Yeah. So what I do now is I buy uh duct tape, um, I've changed the brand now. I've got a weatherproof one, and I put duct tape on the roof of the hives. So I, I, I put this tape on, the, and then I get a Sharpie pen, and I write on the roof of the hives, and I take a photo. And then when I come home, I put it in the little spreadsheet, right? Or not. The spreadsheet bit is optional. But, um, and then what I look at, I, I look at, I, uh, I write just numbers. So it said temper, one to three, I do. I don't do one to ten, one to three. Um, they're temper. Then I write if they, how many brood 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 combs they've got. I write um, if I see the queen, I put a little Q, and, I, and then then I write how many seams of bees there are because that's really important. The seams of bees I find in spring is really worthwhile to know because yeah. you can actually work out, uh, especially with queen rearing. You want to raise queens. The ones I want, the ones that come through winter and expand really nicely in spring. And seams of bees seems to be the easiest way to do that mm. for me anyway. So I agree, actually. I think it's really, really useful. And it's not, you know, the ex- widely accepted hive record card. Yeah, there's too many bits in it. Way too many bits. And there's nothing for seams of bees. Yes. So that was my problem with the record cards also. They had loads of like what the temperature was, what the temper was, if you saw pollen. I just like, right, I know what I'm looking for. I'm looking for it. Eggs, larva, cat, bees. If I see the queen, great. If I don't, I don't care. As long as I see eggs, I'm happy. I'm, I'm just looking to see if there's signs of problems and how how fast they're growing. That's it. That's all I want to know. I want to know if they're okay. I don't need <clears throat> 14 different things. And then for, for queen selection, I select on temper and that, and then and their ability to grow, right? I know you've got this thing about some bees just make bees, mm. but just for me, it's, it's easy things. So what I do is I tape up all the hive roofs now. So this year I'm using weatherproof duct tape because what I have found is that if you don't buy weatherproof duct tape, it kind of it gets weathered off, basically. It just delaminates and falls apart. I found that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only time I've tried it. So I find weather, I've got weatherproof one now, so I'm going to try that one out. But... And then when I put the lid back on, I've got the pen in my pocket and I can see the writing. I write the date and then I just go one, two, three, queen plus, tick. And then if you need to do something like you need to, it's like if they're swarming, right? If they're swarming, you can just write it on the lid. And that way you can look at the lid before you even take the lid. When you go back to do the inspection, you look on the lid and it tells you what you did last year. And you remember, you go, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. This one, this one needs this. So that's my, I do that and then I copy them. Uh, I take pictures of them on my phone, and then I can come home, sit down, 
if I want to, I can put them in a spreadsheet. I don't, I've still got, you know, recording because I'm taking a picture of it. I found that much easier than paper and pen or apps or anything else, just the mm. ability to put the lid back on, write on the lid, go to the next one. That's how I do Hive Records. I agree. And I've, I mean, I've been down to our association and apiary and seen the very uh, neat record cards in plastic sleeves that are kept in the yeah, yeah. roofs. And I don't know why, but with I little just... pencil. They're I, great. I, I don't know. Why them. can't I do that? <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. I just can't seem to make that work. And what I found is what you say, it's about having that information visible at the source. You know, when you get to that hive... You see, but see the record cards for me haven't. I can't. I don't know. I'm just not a spreadsheety kind of person, no. so I can't use that record card and look along. And you know, to me, it doesn't convey the personality of that hive. So what I've ended up doing, as you can see from my phone, which is on the table, which is broken in a million places, uh, shattered screen. I use it for. <laughs> stuff. That's right, people watching me. Um, I I dictate onto that and then when i get home you talk onto it you i use it. i do i have to say siri does not understand b language <laughs> do you know i'm actually going to keep a list and put it on my blog of some of the things i mean for a start bees is always babies and my australian <laughs> accent really doesn't help there's i mean you know varroa i want it's some of the stuff that's come out for varroa but anyway i usually manage it's a family to friendly podcast do, <laughs> I usually manage to decipher what it means. And then when I come home, I email it to myself and I have an email record, but it's more like a notebook. So, yes, it does It does start off with temperature. It does start, start off with brood at all stages. Did I see the queen? How many seams? How many frames? But then there are loads of other observations, which that one little section on the, you know, traditional yeah. hive card just doesn't. But why do you record temperature? Because I, I, the way I thought about it was I don't record temperature. Um, the only t- the only time I record temperature if they're really miserable. Right? Yeah. So I open it up and it's normally, because I don't like miserable bees. So if I open it up and they're normally quite happy and then they're, they're miserable, mm. I think, is it because the temperature or the weather? And I kind of. Yeah. So if like I give them a bad really score, yeah, if I give them a bad score for temper, but it was cold or, but normally I don't open the hives unless the temperature's right. So if the weather condition's not right, I'm not going to open the hive. No, exactly. But I guess, I don't know, sometimes you, sometimes you need to, I mean, I invariably find that if you, when I was working, I used to have to do my beekeeping at night sometimes. Um, and they didn't like that at all. No. I mean, cause obviously they're all home minding their own business Watching and you TV. come along and rip the roof yeah. off. Um, yeah, they were not happy about that, but you know, otherwise good tempered. So I think we record, the thing about record keeping is it's, it's worthwhile doing, but you have to find a way of, A, you're, you're collecting records that are relevant to how you keep bees rather than keeping somebody else's record card. So I, I look at temper growth and basically that's about here. Honey production is probably another one that would be worthwhile, right? That's And then um, B, you need to keep them in the system that you'll actually keep the record cards. Because you have you could have the world's greatest record card uh, you know, on a clipboard nailed to the side of your hive with a, with a pen on a piece of string. But if you can't actually fill the records in because it, it's not the way you work, it's pointless. So I found a system where I'm keeping the information that's relevant to me in a way that I actually do fill it out rather mm. than 
Because apps, I found a problem because... I've never tried it, them, actually. Well, what I find with them, you get propolis over over your quite expensive actually, electronic device, right? At least with dictating it, you don't have to touch many things. No, you, know, you plug headphones in, can you? Just use it as speaking. Yeah. So, and it, so, so there are, I mean, I, I did use one app where I actually recorded, I copied into it because you can configure your own hive cards. Um, with some of those hive records that take like 14 different dimensions, I just couldn't get to the end of it. So I was like, are they happy? <laughs> are they making more bees? Is there a problem? And that's it. That's all I care about. Yeah. And I found that I, I, I found a system where I'm recording what's relevant to me in a way that I'm consistent. Mm. So it's like a big data problem. So if you want to collect, it's got to be you know, veracity and velocity, as they call it. It's like, am I recording the right thing? And am I recording it often yeah. enough? So that's that's how I do record cards. Mm. I I like I like that. You need something when you're there, and then you need that to kind of be an aid memoir. So when you get home. You can yeah. write whatever you want to write about that particular hive. And I, I, I sometimes need – sometimes I don't remember. If I find those hive cards. I just don't remember. If I look at them away from the apiary, I, I kind of can't get a sense of which hive it is, whereas if, you know, I write, you know, this is the hive with the queen that – has no wings because I accidentally cut both of them off when I was sleeping <laughs> with her. Then I know which I'm talking about. That never happened, by the way. But you can you can actually if you get a Sharpie pen and you've got a tin roof, you can write directly onto the uh roof and mm. you can what write uh, rub it off with um white spirit. Yep. I, I just use tape because it's easier. You you buy white duct tape. Mm. Um but I did I did I think I Give you some, but it delaminates under under the weather, so it comes in. <laughs> it comes off. Come, it's all right though. Actually, that was I think that was my duct tape. Was it? It yeah. came off. Well, blame me. So, yeah. So basically, that's our spring preparations. That we're gonna we're gonna feed, clean the boxes, uh, attempt to keep relevant records, um, check for disease. I've got no nizema this year, which is great. I did have some once. The bee poo is at a minimum in my apiary. Is that how you check for nozema? Yeah, they. Oh, you, there's no mistaking it. Poor babies. <laughs> there you go. I probably I do call them babies. Um, so I've got dysentery. You just. I've never had that. No, you'd know if you did. It's just covered in bee poo. Yeah. That's not really pleasant. No, and actually, I did open one of my. It was a nuke, and it smelled a bit like mead. Well, not even mead, just fermenting. Oh, okay. And I, I, I found the frame that of honey that was fermenting and took it out because obviously if they eat that, it's not good for them. I don't think they'll eat it. I think they'll probably leave, wouldn't they? Well, no, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think they, they do eat stores maybe that aren't ripe and well, these drunk bees and yeah, it really upsets their stomachs. Just you can tell you got way. fermenting honey, they're all singing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you, and you're, you're doing, you're doing your magical shook swarms this year. Do you know which hives you're doing it on? Yeah, I do know. I, oh God, it's just the frames of brood. And if you hadn't said that, (laughs) I blame you. Do you know, I've done it for years 
And it's just this year because I've got some new queens, they're just like, where hey, you know, and they're laying loads. And I suppose, Paul, what I could do is set up nukes with some of that brood. You could do. Depends, depends on what the varroa is. I mean, part of the point is comb change for varroa. Part of it is to just give them a real. Well, if I've got a queen and you put those net, put, so you can use. I mean, this is a conversation we were having about how are you yeah. nukes for. So you can use a queen raider, right? So you put those broods in a nuke, and all those nurse bees pop out. Then you hatch, emerge. It's the word I was looking for. Um, you end up with a uh, quite a big nuke with no queen, mm-hmm. no brood but they're really keen for a queen egg. So if you then put grafted cups into that hive, mm-hmm. this is the, the queen, this is a common way of raising queen cells. They'll raise queen cells quite quickly. You've got to give them pollen and you've got to feed them. Um, but you need a queen cell, right? You need a, you need a graft before you do that. So if you're doing a sugar swarm too early. Yeah. Question I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll, I mean, it kind of defeats the, it's not it defeats a purpose in a way, but I will be shook swarming some of them. Uh, I So if you weren't so violently uh opposed to the Bailey comb change. Oh. <laughs> yeah, oh no, don't, don't talk to me about the Bailey comb change. But you could you could do a shit swarm and then put the, the brood over a queen excluder on another box above it. Mm. So that though so the comb so the bees move down and they just take the top box away, then you've still got new comb. But you haven't got the problem you want to get rid of, which is Taking the brood away takes the varroa away. Yeah, exactly. I need to check the varroa load. But if you put them in a queen, you put them in a queenless nuke, so they all emerge. You could then trickle treat them to knock Mm. all the varroa off, and then use them for queen rearing. And then also, I've got well, I've got one which is an okay size, and I've got another which is showing great tendencies, but which is slightly smaller and. Or I don't know, I'm wondering if I should take the smaller colony and unite it with the vicious colony after, well, via, via a nuke. I wouldn't put her straight in there. She'd be dead. Um, unite them. Yeah, so I'm thinking about doing some uniting, I think, as well. I don't care if you unite them, will they? Because they should have the whole hive to defend her. I know, I, know, I don't know. I think sometimes I, 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 I always like to make up a nuke, right. introduce it to the nuke, introduce the nuke to the colony just to be safe. Because I found with bad-tempered bees, the queen, even after they've been hopelessly queenless, they can still not accept right. a queen. And you're going to bump yeah. your horror queen off? You yes, I am. Oh, you said that I'm gonna, I am, <laughs> and I'm going to clip her first. Practice clipping. Practice marking. No, that sounds really awful, doesn't it? I'm not banking her. I can't. There's there's nothing in her genes that I want. I I do not have bees in my apiary which follow me around because. What's the point of having a hobby, which no, is no. miserable? Are you cutting out all the drone comb, all the drones? No. Because you don't want those either, do you? <laughs> no, I, I do want the drones. You don't want her drones? Oh, God, no, I don't want her drones. No, no sorry, yeah. I'm bump them off as well, mate. Yes, 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 I will. Because uh, you'll bump her off and then they'll go mate with all your new queens. Quite. It'll be a revenge. People forget how important drones are. That's why I like foundationists because they make a lot. They make a lot of drones, which is why uh, I think varroa monitoring is quite important if you're doing foundationists because mm. they make a lot more varroa. But they make loads of. I mean, you can get two or three frames of drones. Really? Yeah. So you open I've a hive up. You've got to be careful. Though, you open the hive up, and you think 
blimey, I've got a lot of bees. You think I'm going to make tons of honey. And then you realise 40% of them are drones just laging around eating all the honey. <laughs> so, uh, but I don't know what it is, but I, I find hives that got lots of drones in seem to be much more relaxed. Or maybe it's just because there's loads of drones that don't, drones aren't aggressive, are they? So maybe it's just, they seem more relaxed because there's loads of, there seems like more bees, but fewer of them causing you any grief. But mm. they make loads of drone crew. And the other thing they do, which I never really, because I, I, when I first did it, I thought, well, what do I do with these old drone combs? So at the end of the season, what do I do with these combs for the, because I don't want to keep putting big drone comb in. Um, but they repurpose it. What do they do? So they change the cells to, so if they need drone comb, they, they make the cells bigger. And if they need worker comb, they they just repurpose the cells. So I've had drone comb because I've marked them and you open it up and then you've got workers in the drone. They've mm. just made, I think maybe they made the cells smaller. So I, I used to think, oh, I'm going to have to go through and we'll cut them out. Someone said to me, no, leave it. They'll change it. Like, really? I was a bit skit cynical, but they do. They, they Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah architects so i think that's probably our got anything else you want to talk about getting ready for swarming oh. i reckon I, I, I think we'll be swarming in two weeks really should we have a wager i won't be <laughs> that's no fun paul come on <laughs> yeah, we have a wager. i don't think you'll be swarming in two weeks we will be if we get a week if we get a few days of good weather really mine were on the i had a couple of hives on the verge of it last week Mm, you are remember now. Although, although I'm in a better I've position had, you because I actually have boxes ready for swarming. Have you, how many boxes have you got ready for swarming? I've got one cardboard box. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got any because they're filthy because I'm not managing to get my equipment. So that is my top tip for spring. But I have had swarms at the end of March. But here, not where my bees are. So oh, Okay. Yeah. I'd be disappointed if they swarmed at the beginning of March. Well, they had no, I had no swarm cells last year. I was just lucky last year, I think. Yeah, that's because they were so so busy cracking Make the whip it. on each other, <laughs> building that comb. Yeah. They had no time to think about it. That's what happens else. if you give bees just brand new empty boxes and make them build their own foundation. <laughs> they, they, they're too too tired to swarm. Um, yeah, so what I, I do is I make sure I've got a nuke, spare nuke per hive for swarming in the horror scenario that they all swarm at the same time which they obviously never do but um yeah i've got them over you can see them here i've got them uh stacked up each with their own each with foundation in there ready to go um and then what i do is i take them down and i put put the nuke next to each hive so if i fight because it took me ages to crack swarm control yeah because uh me too no one taught no <laughs> sounds silly now so the, the common method of swarm control where we are is to, um, what they call it, artificial swarm, where you essentially take, you separate the queen from the brood. So you take the queen out and you put in another box and you shake loads of bees in that box and those bees then think they've swarmed. The bees left in the box where you've, taken the, where you've left the brood and you've taken the queen out, then carry on raising that queen cell. And the theory is they make a queen she goes out and mates and you've got two hives so for my first few seasons i tried that method and every single time i had the box the box with the brood just swarmed out they just they just kept swarming i just could not work it out uh until someone pointed out to me that 
you've got to go back. Because what I did, I saw the swarm cell, open swarm cell with a lava in it. Right, okay, that's and time they to do swarm pick control. one cell and so I did one that. unsealed cell and yeah. knock down the rest. Knock and... down the rest. And what I didn't realise was the moment you shut the lid, because there's young, because <laughs> there's still eggs in there from the queen, um, they've still got a week's worth of raw material to make new queens out of. So what I wasn't doing, which I do now, is I go back within five days, reopen the hive, find all the then you'll find loads of new swarm cells and i bash all those down as well and until i learned to do that <laughs> i was just it was, I was exactly swarm, the same swarm control was an absolute nightmare i had no for me. i had no understanding i didn't know what to do and it was because the particular sheet of paper that i'd been given at my b theory course which was a great course yeah. just this sheet of paper did not say choose one cell knock down the rest then go back five days later. Just that, that caused me, I mean, and this is when my, the bees were in my back garden. I mean, swarms and casts and casts and, you know, getting our chairman to come around and collect a teacup size cast of bees from my neighbor's hedge. It was, it was really hard. I remember a swarm that moved into your roof, into your hive roof that was on the floor. <laughs> that was because I, I just had no uh, equipment and I and they were lying on the ground because she was clipped and I just thought, oh, I'll just put a roof over them. And they made <laughs> a hive in there. And now Sally's got those bees. They're doing really well. Really? Yeah, she's still – that queen is a green queen. That's a strong queen. Yeah, she's – like So that. that – so swarm control, that is, to me, the, the, the essence of it yeah. is to go back and knock down those cells is that – and. That's why I think a lot of beginners, I know I did, I hated swarm season because it was that you felt out of control. You Absolutely. did the thing you were told to do and it didn't work. And it didn't and work. Felt, yeah. And then you go around, you look for alternative methods. And also, it's so dramatic because it's like having a helicopter of bees land in your garden. You know, when, when a swarm goes off, if you've never seen one before and you've got a public footpath behind your house and neighbors and stuff mm. like that, they, they do freak out. So mm. it's, not only to feel out of control, but the pressure from from neighbours and members of the public is yeah. So I, I mean that adds was, to that, it. That was the thing is that you take the the method of swarm control I still use is I take the queen out and I separate her from the brood and I shake loads of bees into a new hive with the queen. I lock her in for about seventy eight two hours, feed them, and I think they swarm. They don't act like a swarmy hive. I then. Find a swarm cell that I saw in the initial inspection. Look in there. If there's a big juicy larva, I leave it. I mark the frame and I go through all the other frames. And I knock down every possible queen cell. And I can come back within five days and knock them down again because there'll be loads left. And ever since I've learned to do that, swarm control has been easy mm. because it's completely manageable. Because the moment you not do that second knockdown, there's no way the bees can make another queen. There's no eggs. It's done. Well, I think the key point is like, I'm, and I mean, I think that's that's exactly the method I use now. I think you use the term nuking the queen. I mean, that's I definitely yeah, I, I nuke her. I nuke her. <laughs> I, put in, I put in a nuke. But but you've got you've got to do that as soon as you see the first queen yes. cell. and that's why I put a yeah. nuke next to the hives, so okay. I can just take the. See the queen on the frame, put the frame, and even I just move the whole frame, even if it's got brood on it. I just move the frame and I put new frames in the box and I just shake loads of bees in. And the good thing then is if your new queen emerges and she flies off and she gets eaten by a bird, 
you can just reunite Reunite them again and job done. Or if you don't like the queen that you've uh, put in the nuke, um, and then new one mates and you're happy with that one, you can bump her off and reunite them anyway. So, but it was, it just took me about two seasons to work Mm. out where I was going wrong. And it was just so frustrating because you're thinking, well, I'm doing, I'm doing what I've been told to do. And then you speak to other people and they're like, yeah, just, just, you know, it's easy. Separate the queen from the brood. That's what I'm doing. Well, I don't know why it's not working. Maybe there's, and then they blame the bees. Oh, maybe they're really swarming bees. Swarming bees, yeah. Did you get them as a swarm? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I, um, I think that's the crucial, that is the most important step. Well, actually, equally important is giving them enough space at this time of year because they'll they'll start to swarm really quickly if they're running out of room. Yeah. Um, but that, what you just described, is the key thing because if you don't do that and you get a queen, sealed queen cell, they're off. And and I have to remind myself that bees work 24 hours a day, i.e. they don't kind of turn the lights off and go to sleep um, and they are making queen cells through the night while I'm sleeping. Um, so things happen a lot more quickly in the bee world than they do in my head. So when do you put supers on then to give them more space? Uh, I, I don't know. It depends on the size of the colony. I mean, like now I could put someone now. Um, do you put a queen excluder on? Not, I wouldn't put, not yet. No. Not yet. Cause it's too, it's still getting really cold at night. Yeah. I wouldn't, I don't think I'll put supers on yet. I think, um, middle of April I probably would. When it's- There's a lot of dandelion, um, that they're, that yeah. they're working like crazy, but you know, I mean, cer- certainly, the reason the reason I clip my queens is because sometimes they move so quickly, and if you're not able to be there because of other commitments like work, um, and <laughs> and you can't do the process that you've just outlined, then if a swarm emerges, you'll probably lose your queen because you can't fly. But the bees will return to the hive once they realize yeah. this. And I've, I've seen it happen so many times. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I've also seen a mating swarm one. So that was amazing. But that's another story. <laughs> so actually, let's have a quick chat about queen clipping before we wrap up. So why, cause I, I was, re- I was looking on a Facebook group cause why not? Uh, and they were talking about queen clipping and it seems to be, I think there's a misunderstanding of why people clip, right? So mm-hmm. clipping does not stop bees swarming. No. What does it do, Tracy? It means that if a swarm issues from your hive, that so the, I mean, the way that swarms work is incredible. And again, Thomas Seeley's book is the one to read. Honeybee democracy. There's all kinds of communication going on in a small swarm with pheromones, and it's the queen's pheromones um, which give the swarm cohesion and hold the swarm together and say to the swarm, here we are, we're all here, we're landing here, here we are. Okay. So if you clip a queen, if you take the tip off her wing, it means she can't fly. She'll just fly around in circles and drop to the ground. So when the swarm goes up, there's no queen substance keeping the swarm together and even though they might settle they will realize she's not there and they come back to the hive so what that means is if you have bees in quite a public place like i do 
it means I'm not freaking the public out by great big, you know, swags of bees hanging around in trees and on bushes. Um, it means I don't have the landowner calling me at all times of day saying, there are swarms here, come and get them. Um, it's just, I know that it makes it sound like it's a lot easier for people um, and I know a lot of people are against queen clipping, but at the end of the day, my purpose in doing this is um, to educate people about bees and not frighten them yeah. and also to make some honey out of it so that I can justify to the landowner having my bees in the beautiful location where they are. So, you know, t- to me it's a good solution, but I rarely get a swarm go off. <laughs> so this is going to happen now that I'm bragging about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it your worst year for I shouldn't say this, should I? I re- because I do the nuking thing. I put the queen in the nuke. That stops it dead. Does that answer? Sorry, <laughs> just caught my hand on the wire. Um, does that answer your? Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you address do, your question. You do Paul. the same way I do. I, I clip. I clip my queens because I don't want the swarms to travel too far. I don't. Mm. But I'm. If you do good hive management, you shouldn't need to put no. It's like a safety net, right? Exactly, so exactly. If you put queens, if you live in London, your gardens are relatively small. So you're very close to your neighbours. So it's worthwhile clipping them in London because that way, if you're, if for some reason they do swarm in your back garden, you, your, your bees aren't going to be hanging from your neighbour's chimney. They're going to be, they'll be back in the hive, right? But yeah. I can see why some people don't. When I first started beekeeping, when I clip the bees, I'm like, well, that's a bit. Cruel. I think people think it's cruel and I guess the honest answer is I don't know if it hurts her or not and I'm sure people are going to write in and say that it does. Um, well, there's no, as I understand it, doesn't because there's, no, well, there's no actual nerve in The substance that her wing is made of. But, I mean, I think also a lot of people just don't like picking up the queen. No. And I think everyone should be able to pick up the queen. I agree. So that's one of, one of my goals this year is to improve my queen handling. So I do pick up queens, but you can always get better at it. And actually the ability to pick a queen up is a skill worth cultivating, even if you don't clip them or mark them because things like swarm control, the ability just to pick that queen up and isolate her and put in a butler cage or in a new is really useful. It's a very valuable skill. And the amount of times you'll see people spend, I've seen them spend 20 minutes trying to, trying to coax a queen into a queen cage or into a clip. and they Smoking use her. Yeah. To try to get a go in, which I think is really you just mean. pick her up by the wings. And you can mm. practice the good thing about queen handling is you can practice on drones. You can if you pick drones up, you can pick a queen up. Yeah. And they're quite robust. It's not like you throw them around, but they're quite robust. I also don't like marking her in the queen cage because you know, the crown of thorns one. Oh yeah, because you squeeze them. Well you you're squashing them to hold them in place. I mean I'd much rather pick her up, put her on my thumb and mark her yeah. and clip her, and then it's done. Um, and yeah, you know, it's something you've got to gain confidence about. And yes, I've had queens fly off, haven't we all? Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. My first ever queen that I raised on my oh, own graph. She flew off into the sunset, laughing oh. at me. No, don't think of it like that. You gave her life. She was mocking she me. She took it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think, is that it? Are we, are we, have we, I think so. Talked about everything we wanted to talk about? Yeah, I mean, there was the letter bag bit. Oh, we did the letter bag, I think. No, I didn't do it. Okay, so we've had we've had fan mail has flooded in from one or two people. Very, <laughs> very nice of them. So um, Dunton emailed about treatments. So we were talking last last episode about registering your 
If you live in the UK, register in your apri on the National Bee Unit website called Bee Base. And we were saying this is important because um, they'll then notify you if there's problems in your area. And uh, the, the email was basically said that some people are a bit paranoid that um, there's been reports in the press of the bee inspectors prosecuting people for using unlicensed treatments. And I think, yes, they do, because in, 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 in the United Kingdom, we've got some quite stringent rules around treatment. So we don't allow unlicensed antibiotics to be used in heights, which is a treatment for foul brood. So there was a quite a public story in the UK of a commercial bee farmer in, in Scotland who bought... So it's an interesting story. So the, the story in the press is that he, he used an unlicensed treatment, which isn't actually true. They had an outbreak of foul brood. Um, the government agreed that the farmers could use one of these antibiotic treatments. They trained all the farmers how to use it, and they were going to supply the farmers with supply of it. Uh, but they were very slow to do it. So some, so this person went out and bought their own supply and started applying it. The initiative. Because yeah. they were worried they were going to lose their entire business and then at some point the the government gave them the same treatment and they went and applied that as well but they still prosecute them for importing this treatment illegally so you're not allowed to use unless the government say you can antibiotics in your hive so the the common treatment for any foul brood in the uk is to burn the hive well burn the brood kill it bury it burn it uh, but obviously, if you're a commercial bee farmer and you've got a thousand hives, um, the government will normally let you use an antibiotic under uh, their supervision. So, in theory, <laughs> the bee unit could come and take a sample out your hive and work out you're using an unlicensed. They take your honey. They do this every year. They do a big yeah. honey sampling thing but the, to the, test res- the, residues. And I guess that's the thing with unlicensed products but i mean i can't express an opinion on this at all because i don't know what i'm talking about but obviously before apibioxel we were all using oxalic acid which was un, an unlicensed treatment for varroa i don't think and, anyone's been prosecuted for using oxalic acid well it's in the defra booklet on varroa there's a <laughs> list of varroa, uh, uh, licensed varroicides and yeah and it mentions that and also formic acid, and I think there are a couple of others. So, oh, it's licensed. I think. I think the, the moral of the story is that even if you register your bees on Bee Base, it doesn't give anybody the right to come and inspect your bees. So, I, I would still suggest you register on Bee Base. And if uh, if you are using uh, illegally imported antibiotics, please stop because it's got it's got ramifications wider than how much honey you get. Um, but it's unlikely, I think, that anyone's going to be prosecuted for using oxalic acid in their hives. For a start, they'd have to find mm. it. But so I we had that one. Bee base is not about spying on beekeepers. No, it's a support resource for beekeepers. Exactly. It's it's us that have the contact with them rather than the other way around. Exactly. And then we had another email from Ian who uh, listens to the podcast on the tube, and he said it was a bit quiet. So I'm going to crank it up, Ian. So if, if it's not loud enough, let me know. It's an ACDC going in the back. I'm going to crank it right up. Crank it, Paul. Uh, and then we've had um, two two mentions on other podcasts. So the Kiwi Man of Buzz kindly mentioned us. Um, and they, they've done a really good show last week about uh, with the guy with the the, hive, the swarm trap on a bucket, which I thought was great. So we'll link that. 
Uh, and Kevin from the Beekeeper's Corner mentioned as well. Kevin's got a new YouTube channel. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. You should really go and subscribe to it. Mm. His other uh, YouTube channel is the, I think it's the New Jersey Beekeeper Association. And there's a video on there of him having a absolute horror inspection. <laughs> which, <laughs> which was me last week. But yeah, anyway, so, yeah. And that's Love worth it. watching because we have mm. all had those inspections. Yeah. And I thought he was really quite brave put it on there because um, if you scroll down the comments, you can see there's people who've obviously never had a horror inspection. They're perfect. But I, I don't. I've had them. I know everyone I know who's gone. Um, I've had them. I've had some terrible ones. God in heaven. <laughs> the places I've been stung, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> That's for another show. <laughs> Interesting places. So um, I'll check out his website. He's got a, a blog in there about long frames as well, which is interesting. So I don't know if you've ever seen in Germany, they these cabinet hives. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're these six-foot frames. Yeah. So he's got, he's, got a, he's got a blog post about that. Um, if you want to, uh, if you like our podcast and you're not subscribed, please feel, please subscribe to it. Um, if you, if you feel, if you really enjoyed it and you fancy putting it on, uh, give us a review, that'd be great on iTunes. Uh, you can chat with us on, on the Twitter. We're at the beehive jive. Uh, and if you want the notes to this, to this show notes for this show, it'll be on the beehive com slash three. Um, and that's it really. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. record this with the actual alcohol but with we could have like alcoholic drinks but i thought the problem with that is <laughs> i'd have to beep out so much it would sound like we're broadcasting in morse code oh can we do that next time <laughs> what does beep it <laughs> <laughs> i'll have the buzzer <laughs> beep, 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 i know it'd beep, be beep. like morse code <laughs> but a drink would be really nice god i wish you hadn't said that i feel like i really need one <laughs>